0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: Hey there, it's Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor in chief. Welcome to This Is Quick, where we ask our This Is Working guests pointed questions about their own best practices. Today, we're hearing from Gerald Shirtavian, the founder and CEO of Year Up. Year Up is a tuition-free job training program, and we're gonna be hearing more from Gerald in depth next week. What do you always have with you? Is there any gear or app that you can't start your business day without?
0: Um, so look, everyone has a phone, but I always have a notebook. Right. I never, I have not gone into a meeting, a phone call in the last 23 years without having a notebook as well. One, because I, I think as I write, um, and probably because I have ADD, is writing actually helps to steady me and I can focus and listen, but I'm constantly writing. I have notebooks that go back a uh, long, long time. It also helps me keep track of what I said I'd do, what I've committed to do for others, and who said what uh, during an uh, interaction. So I'll always have a notebook with me.
1: Any particular brand? Is there like something, one notebook that you love or one pen that you love?
0: Look, we're branding folks as well. So I have Year Up notebooks, Dan. Come on, I mean, I gotta hit that mark, right? I need a Year Up notebook. Um, I always have something to write with. It helps me remember what I've said and who I'm talking to. When did you first know what you wanted to do? What got me to launch Year Up was really through the Big Brothers program I was young at the time and I was matched with a boy who lived in, at that point, what was the most heavily photographed crime scene in New York City. And I spent every Saturday of my life uh, for three years with this young boy, his name's David. I spent all those Saturdays with David and his, as he has four older brothers as well. And I remember one day, I can see it like it was yesterday. I was talking to David's older brother and we were in the hallway of their apartment in New York City on the 18th floor and his older brother and I were having a debate and he so crushed me in the debate intellectually. It absolutely was so clear to me, we need his talent. We need his brains. We need all that he can offer. And I kept thinking, we need to do better in this country because we're wasting so much human capital in a country where we have no one to waste if we wanna be globally competitive.
1: What's one habit or item or process that helps you stay productive?
0: I'm a bit of a creature of habit. So I'm up at 5.30 every day, regardless, exercise for an hour, pretty much eat the same things every day. So I like a a pretty strict routine in the morning and then a little bit of quiet time before meetings and phone calls start. And it's during that quiet time that I can sit down and think what has to happen by the end of today? How does the urgent not crowd out the important? And to really kind of start the day saying, how does this day end? And what are the two or three things that determine whether I've actually added value today? So getting in the right state of mind, which for me is about exercise and a bit of routine, and then clarifying what has to happen by the end of the day.
1: Love that, how does the day end? I've never heard that before, that's great. What's the one thing that can derail your productivity?
0: Boy, if I show up and I haven't planned out the day, or I don't know how I'm gonna solve a problem that day, I find it incredibly unsettling. And I often try, when you try to source like, where do you find stress? Stress for me is when you don't know how to solve a problem, and often it's because you haven't dedicated time to think through the problem.
1: Who was your first mentor, and what was something important you learned from them?
0: I very fortunately uh, and somewhat luckily got a job on Wall Street when I came out of college. The gentleman who hired me was much senior to where I was. I was in chemical bank in a credit training program, and the gentleman, Doug George, took me under his wing and asked me to go to meetings for him. And he was a vice president. I was the lowest of low analysts. And I'd show up at these meetings being at least five levels below everyone else. And I was obviously not that confident, didn't know what I could do. And he kept telling me, trust the fact that you have ability. Trust the fact that you're smart and trust your voice. If you've given something thought, if you've applied you know good thinking to it, don't be afraid to use your voice and don't expect that you always know less than others around you. And so he gave me confidence at a young age to be in a room with others and to say, I I am gonna put my view forward because I have confidence in that and I have given it thought ahead of time. So he was one of the folks who helped me to believe in myself uh, back when I was in my early 20s. Someone shows up
1: to a one-on-one with you. What drives you nuts? What makes you want to extend it?
0: What makes me want to extend a one-on-one is when someone kind of knows what they want out of the conversation, they've been thoughtful, they come with an agenda that they've really thought about how do we use time well and what's the outcome they want. So that kind of shows me they're really conscious of their time and my time when they come into a meeting. Uh, What drives me nuts is someone who comes in without any prep, any note taking, and just sits down. I say, never, ever, ever get to a meeting and not know what you want at the end of that meeting. Like that's just bad planning. I think they're wasting both their time and my time uh, in the process. And I also I think it's important to get to know people. So in most one-to-ones I have, I'm gonna start by asking the question, how are you, and pause, listen for an answer, and be reflective, empathetic, understanding, because you get the next 55 minutes to get into work, but some days we have tough days and things can go wrong. And so I will always take time in a meeting to do that and uh, appreciate when someone has that sensibility as well.
1: Our last question. Any mistake you've made along the way in your career that you now look at as a you know, life lesson?
0: Yeah, how long do we have, Dan? <laughs> um, I've made a million mistakes. Um, prior to year up, I was in, I'd say, more homogeneous environments, right? There were a lot of white males making decisions. And I thought I knew how to hire people, that I was a great interviewer. But of course, I'm interviewing and hiring people who look just like me, have the same background, went to similar places at school. And then you realize, that, that when you build diversity, you actually can get better decisions, exponentially better decisions, if you step back a bit and really allow that diversity to come up with better answers, more innovative answers. And so it took me a while to, I think, understand that and internalize it. And now I know in pretty much any meeting at Year Up, I can step out of that meeting. And if there are five or six folks representing uh, a diverse population, I can trust they will get to the right answer, and I don't need to be there to make those decisions. And so I've seen the power of diversity in making better decisions, and I will say that prior to starting Europe, I didn't understand that and probably missed a lot of things that would have made my organization stronger and better had I been more thoughtful, uh, I'd say in the 90s when I was running companies back then.
1: So the mistake was thinking that you were the decider on in interviews or that you had it all figured out on who
0: to bring into your company? Yeah, and especially interviewing, right? So Interviewing is a really biased activity and we often hire with likeness bias. And so what I realized, if you want to build a plurality, you have to really bring that plurality into the process and also suspend a bit of your judgment that you kind of see people really perfectly and you're the best judge of people I've learned to listen to those around me who are going to bring diverse perspectives and therefore think of recruiting and interviewing as a much broader process that incorporates the voices of many more folks who uh, I think get to a much better decision. All right. Gerald, thank you so much for joining us for This Is Quick. Great. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it.
1: That was Gerald Chartavian, founder and CEO of Europe. Gerald talked about the huge shift that occurred when he realized that having people with a diversity of experiences and backgrounds in the room made decisions much better. And then he realized that he didn't really have to be in the meetings all the time because he'd hire people with a wealth of perspective and he could trust that they'd make great calls. So if you think about what Gerald's saying, he is talking about saving time and making things better by doing great hiring and hiring people who don't just look like you. So huge ROI in rethinking how you hire, who you put into these meetings, and uh, trusting them to be able to make these decisions that are gonna make your business or nonprofit better. I'd love to hear from you. How has expanding your perspective and your network benefited you in business? Is there something that you've learned or achieved that might not have been possible if you didn't change your thinking? Let me know on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisisWorking. And if there's a question you want to hear in these candid segments with guests, let me know that too. You can reach me at ThisisWorking at LinkedIn.com. Thanks to our team for putting this together. Nina and I will be back next week to bring you more great takeaways. Be well and stay curious.